So we're going to pray, and we're going to look at God's word again. Uh, I'd like to pray before I talk. Um, so let's ask God for his blessing for these next few minutes. Father God, just as we come to your word, having worshipped you, having lifted your name up, Father, we do thank you that we can lift our worries, we can stand, Lord, in your holy presence and bring you our hurts and our pains and our frustrations, Lord. And Lord, you love us uh, regardless, you love us despite, Lord, you love to transform and heal and forgive us. And Lord, you love to challenge us as well as a father should. Lord, challenge us this morning if it's necessary. Encourage us if it's necessary. Learn, grow us, I pray, Lord, where it's necessary. And Lord, may we be more better, um, more better. So may we be shaped into the image of Jesus, we pray, just as we uh, look at these verses this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I thought I'd just start with two um, little... Stories slash anecdotes. Everyone loves an anecdote, don't they? I think, I'm not sure when an anecdote becomes a story, um, but don't focus on that because you'll miss the anecdote slash story in its message. Anyway, so two little uh, things to read to you. So the first is about the hummingbird and the vulture. The hummingbird, both the hummingbird and the vulture fly over the deserts of the United States, apparently. As the vulture flies... All he sees, he or she, sees is rotting meat, because that is what the vulture looks for. They thrive on that diet. But hummingbirds ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals. What a cheery way to start talking on a Sunday morning. Sorry. <laughs> if you're watching at home, I hope you're not having breakfast. Um, instead, they look for colorful blossoms of desert plants. The vultures live on what was. They live on the past. They fill themselves with what is dead and gone. But hummingbirds live on what is. They seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and life. Each bird finds what it's looking for. We all do. That's a good point, isn't it? Next one. Um, this is obviously written by an American because they do mean, they obviously mean St. Paul's Cathedral, but they've written London's Great Cathedral. Anyway, a, a note, the noted English architect, Sir Christopher Wren, was supervising the construction of a magnificent cathedral in London. Hmm, wonder which one. A journalist thought it would be interesting to interview some of the workers. So he chose three at random and asked them the same simple question. What are you doing? The first one replied rather angrily, I'm cutting stone for 10 shillings a day. The second one, in a similar grumpy way, said, I'm putting in 10-hour shifts on this job. Then the third one replied like this. He said, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren construct one of London's greatest cathedrals. Awesome perspective on it. Those two anecdotes slash short stories um, have two themes. The same theme that runs through both of them. That idea that perspective is yours and yours alone. Situations may not be of your making, but your perspective on it is very much our, your decision. How we feel on pretty much anything we go through is a lot of it comes down to how we decide to process it and how we decide to see it. And those uh, two anecdotes, uh, slash stories, last time I said that, um, kind of uh, sum up a little bit, um, sort of tap into uh, something I want to read to you from the Old Testament. We'll come on to a minute, into it in a minute, but I've uh, titled this talk, Heart of Worship, and those two um, stories, they pick up something of the passage I'm about to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you've uh, got a Bible, which I hope you do, it's good to have a Bible at church um, and at home. But it's good to, we're going to read just the first nine verses of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Obviously, it will appear on the screen behind me as well, and you can follow along if you don't have access to one. And uh, it's titled, Love the Lord Your God. 
And this is what the first nine verses of Deuteronomy 6 say. These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And, you may, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So we're looking at uh, the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Pentateuch or the Torah or fifth book of the Bible. Um, and those first five books uh, document the beginning of everything, creation from nothing, all the way from Adam and Eve and sin, and then God's call of a man named Abraham, or Abraham became Abraham, and then his subsequent children, and then the forming of this nation, Israel. Israel, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, is the part of the story before Jesus. Jesus is who we're all very familiar with, but he was a, an Israelite, he was a Jew, and he came from the Israelite tribe, the people of Israel, I should say, who were made up of 12 separate tribes. And God called them to be one people with him as king. And then they were to leave where God called Abraham and they were to travel to this place called the promised land. And once they got to the promised land, God was going to multiply them. They were going to become this nation, not just like any other, but a nation of priests showing the whole world what God was like and how you could worship him properly, this holy God and with sinful people down here. They were going to show the world this is how you can actually access and know that God personally. That was going to be their role and job when they got to this promise that God was going to bless them abundantly. They were going to grow and grow and grow in the whole world, even those who are outside their, their country's identity. We're all going to know the light and goodness of God. And so they, they walked and they went a long way. Sadly, the journey from, the, um, from when they started to the promised land didn't quite go according to plan. You all know the story of the Exodus. I've got a picture here that just sort of reminds us of the journey they took. So they, off they went uh, and they were rescued dramatically during the time of Joseph. And they went to Egypt and they stayed there for quite some time. And they grew and they grew and they grew. And then they were treated as slaves by Pharaoh. And then God raised up this man, Moses who, along with his brother and his sister, got them out of Egypt. And they went out, those ten plagues came and hit the Egyptians. They crossed the Red Sea. The Red Sea was like that. They walked on dry ground. The Egyptian army followed them in and was swallowed up with the water. And they went to Mount Sinai, where they literally saw the presence of God. And God spoke to them and gave them his laws in tablet form. Um, not that sort of tablet form, but the old-fashioned tablet form. And they were given these Ten Commandments and all these extra laws around them. And they were just had, all they had to do was walk to the Promised Land, which wasn't actually very far. And it was kind of small. Um, but you can see... And they get to about number 18, and then it all goes horribly wrong because they disobey God. God says, go over, take this land, it's yours. And they go, and oh, we're not doing it. And God says, all oh, that gen first generation, you're all going to die off of old age. And then the next generation, you're going to go into the promised land, do 
what you should have done. And so they had to wait 40 years and kind of go around in circles. And they eventually head up to number 21, 22, the plains of Moab, as it's called. And that's where Deuteronomy takes place. They're literally the other side of the River Jordan, the boundary river. The promised land is just over that river. And here he is, this nation that's taken years and years to get to this wonderful moment. And here they've had to lose a whole generation who are disobedient. They've had to follow God. They followed a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke and they walked through the desert. God gave them manna from heaven to feed them and quail would fly over on the morning wind to feed them. He provided water from the rock. He did the most wonderful miracles and they finally get here. This is the moment. That river Jordan at the top, that's the moment when they're just going to enter, finally, the promised land. All of it has been leading to this moment. And so the book of Deuteronomy, then, is Moses' final teaching, his final preparation for God's people about how they're to behave, what laws they're to follow when they enter that promised land. Uh, God had promised right back in the beginning of Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 to 8, that he was going to rescue his people and he was going to bring them into this promised land. And here they are standing the other side of their destiny. How exciting it must have been. How exciting it must have been for that second generation to think, here we are, parents talked about it, they've all died off, and here we are. And so this is Moses' pep talk, if you like, in the book of Deuteronomy. This is his kind of final comment, because he's not going, sadly. He's going to die at the top of that mountain up there. He's not allowed in. And so this is their final moment before they enter the promised land. I wonder what you'd say to this nation of Israel. Here they are, about to uh, embrace their destiny. I wonder what you'd say as their final pep talk. Maybe you'd say something along the lines of, when you get in there, just enjoy it. You've worked so hard to get here. Have a bit of me time for the first hundred years and then we'll worry about being all religious later. That's a, that's a lot of aggravation. You've had a hard time, bless you. It's been hot in the desert. You just need to relax and take it easy. When I was in uh, Bangladesh, oh, another Bangladesh story, sorry, um, I coached a football team and uh, we had to go off to a tournament in Delhi, in India, and, uh, and they had a pep rally. And, uh, and I remember the sporting director, who wasn't actually very sporty, bless her, uh, we had to, I had to introduce the football team. And she said, when you get out there, you must say to all these kids from the high school, here is your championship winning team. I didn't want to say that, especially as we came second. Anyway, but I really want to be British about it and go, we're going to do our absolute best. Sorry if we don't win, but we're going to try our hardest, everybody. All right, it's okay. But they're Americans and they want to, so I did that. And then we came second, it rubbish. Anyway. But it was a kind of pep talk. That was meant to be my moment of, yeah! Um, there we are. Um, but actually, sometimes pep talks are great, but they kind of signify almost the end of something rather than they should be signifying the beginning of it. The greatest film ever made, I shouldn't admit this to you, but I'm going to, is a film called Legally Blonde with Reese Witherspoon. I don't know why you're laughing. It is one of the greatest movies ever made. If you've never seen it, you really ought to forget all that Casablanca nonsense. This is the great... I lied to you in the past. I've told you that Airplane, Police Academy, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 are great films, and Naked Gun. Um, but actually, my favourite film of all time is probably Legally Blonde. And at the end of the film, Elle Woods stands up with her little square hat, and she says, that, she says this line, Class of 2004, we did it. And they throw their hats in the air, I cry. It's very sad. It's quite embarrassing. Anyway, but it occurred to me that often, actually, the end of the story is really the beginning of the real story. And actually, as they stand the other side of the promised land, 
It's the end of one part of it, but it really is the beginning of a much bigger, more tougher story. They have to go into that land and push out all the enemies and the people that live there and kind of tame the land and live there and make it work for them. It's the beginning of the story, really. And what's interesting is that Moses, as he speaks to them, he prepares them by telling them of all the struggles they're going to face. The land is, like I've said, full of enemies, and there are lots of dangers that will be with them when they cross over the River Jordan. However, what's really, really interesting is that Moses, when he speaks to them about the dangers they face, doesn't focus on the enemies they're going to have to fight, and there are lots of them. He doesn't focus on the fact they've got to divide up the land, all get on, and that sort of thing. The thing Moses really focuses on in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the real danger. The real danger to God's people as they cross the River Jordan isn't the battles with people that they've got to wage. It's the condition of their heart once they're in there. And it's this that I really want to just focus on this morning. Because as they enter that biggest danger isn't who they're going to see but who they are and how they worship God as they go along because they will become hard-hearted if you've read the book of Judges you know how bad it gets they will become people killed by their own comfort they will become a, a people who become godless and ungrateful They forget very quickly to thank God for his provision and his land. They cease very quickly to have a heart of worship. Instead, they have a heart of selfishness, self-centeredness, anger, and pride. You see, the state of the heart determines our responses to everything, our perspective and our action. The state of the heart determines who we are and what we do. Two more things to read you. A chaplain was speaking to a soldier in a bed in hospital and he said to this soldier who had lost an arm, he said, you've lost an arm for a great cause. The soldier replied, no, I didn't lose it, I gave it. And another quote I read this week said this, if you live in a graveyard too long, you stop crying when someone dies. To mean, if you lose the perspective on things, and you lose the emotion and the proper response to it as well. And so Moses says to these people, when you get there, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to forget that all these houses that are there, you didn't build. All these farms, you didn't plant. You didn't do any of it. That the people that are driven out before you, that God did that. You're going to forget all of that. And then you're going to forget God. And then you're going to break your covenant with him and God is going to come against you. And you're going to be pushed back out of this land. And so he's saying to them, your heart, you've got to guard your heart as you enter this promised land. And it's interesting that the timing of this, he's warning them of the sin they're about to commit before they even commit it. Because the solution uh, is to warn them of their hearts going cold before they even do it. God knows that they're going to have cold hearts. In chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, he says as much very clearly. And in fact, in Deuteronomy 25, uh, 5, 29, long before Moses says this, God utters this phrase almost in exasperation. He said, I've heard what this people have said to you. Everything they have said was good. And God says this, oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Because God himself knew these people were going to cross that Jordan and then they were going to forget him and go hard-hearted very quickly. And so the message then from the book of Deuteronomy and the books that follow it is that if the heart of a person is wrong, 
then everything else about them is wrong very quickly as well. And if you think about it in our own lives, if we think about the problems we actually have, especially those with other people, isn't it often us that's in the wrong? Isn't it often that we're a bit hard-hearted or we've got an unresolved bitterness that we, receive, we perhaps put on to other people? Think of how we view ourselves or our families or what we do at work or how we uh, treat our own bodies, our relationships, even treat God. Doesn't it often come down to the state of this thing in here? But if we're soft-hearted, full of grace and peace and goodness, things tend to work out okay. But if we're full of bitterness and, and anger and rage, don't we end up just pushing everybody away and ruining much of the good things that God has given us? I'd like to read some verses just from different parts of the Bible about the heart because it's a good challenge to hear this morning. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we read this. Above all things, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all things, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. Proverbs 17, verse 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Laughing, mucking around, being happy is far better than being miserable. No good comes from misery. No good comes from that hard-heartedness. And then flicking over to um, Proverbs 27, verse 19. Read this. Nope. No, we don't. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, it do. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. If you want to know what state of your own heart, have a look at how you respond to people. Have a look at the words you use, the things you do, the way you react to people that mildly irritate you. The things you do when no one's watching, that will tell you. That will reflect the state of our hearts as we go forward. And then flicking over to a few more verses, um, Jeremiah 17, verse 9 to 10. We read this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what they, their deeds deserve. And then flicking over one more time to Jeremiah 29 verse 13. God says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's good news and bad, isn't there? Our hearts are often hard. Our hearts are often broken. But when we seek God with all of our heart, God comes into our life and transforms us. And let me ask a question of all of us, myself included this morning. How are our hearts this morning? How are our hearts as we sit in this room, as we sing worship songs and pray and smile to each other like we do on a Sunday morning? How is your heart? How is my heart? Is it hard? Have you allowed it to become full of bitterness and rage? Is there any good reason for that? Maybe there was a good reason then. But is there a good reason today to have those feelings? Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe things have hurt you and, and you don't know how to trust or whatever it might be. There may be good reasons, but is that how you want your heart to be going forward? What state is your heart in this morning? Is it full of joy? Is it full of the fragrance of Jesus? When you go into a room, do people think, wow, I love it when you come? Or do they think, oh. This week, I'm debating how to deliver this next line. <laughs> um, I'll be vulnerable. This week, I asked God to change somebody 
Um, I ask God to affect somebody else's life. And I was very clear what I wanted. I prayed about it and I prayed about it. And I woke up one morning and you know what God did? He changed me. I wasn't quite expecting it. <laughs> um, but God is so wonderful because it turns out that whilst my worries may have been genuine, my heart wasn't. And I needed that to change. And so when I prayed, Lord, please change them, he changed me. And I thank you, Lord, for that. I really do. How is your heart this morning? As those Israelites stand on the edge of glory, of destiny, a new chapter, the only thing that is going to mess it up is their heart. You think as a church, we stand with new chapters all the time. We employ some new people. We, we develop ministries. We knock our buildings down, hopefully. Um, but it's new territory. It's like crossing the Jordan every time. And what will mess it up won't be money. It won't be planning departments. It won't be whether or not uh, we decide or what we don't decide or what colour we put on the wall. What will mess it up will be whether our hearts as a church are hard towards each other and towards God himself. And so how do you have a healthy, happy heart? Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 one more time. Just four things, four verses are all on the screen there. Uh, it looks a bit 1995, doesn't it? Sorry. That's my bad. Anyway. Um, so... The first one, verse 4, listen. Listen about who God is. Verse 4, this is called uh, the Shema in Hebrew. It's a, a name for this entire verse. It's a really key verse uh, for Israel, for, for Christians and Jews. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you want a healthy heart, the first thing you must do is hear, listen to the truths of who God is. The only solution to hardness is the soft, revealing, healing truths of the King of Kings. He is our God, our Lord, and he is one to mean the only one. There is only one God. Anyone that tells you that there are lots of gods and you can just pick the one, the flavor that matches how you happen to feel is wrong, sadly, tragically wrong. There is only one God, and only one way to that God through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. And so don't kid yourselves, you can earn your way into some heaven somewhere. You need to put faith in Christ and Christ alone. But we're told to listen, to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Hear the truth about God. Hear it. Don't follow any other God, any other philosophy that isn't of him. Listen, listen, take it on board, hear it. How many Christians have deaf ears to the truths of God? Never opening the book or worshipping or anything like that. They come and they go... But God wants you to hear what he's got to say. He wants you to listen and take it on board. Verse 5, love, love your God. Verse 5, I read it, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Not some or a little bit or occasionally, all of it. Your whole being. In fact, the word heart in the Bible, especially in Hebrew, is often used just to sum up the core of a person, the very center of a person. We're to love God from the center of ourselves, not through action or words or activity, but through the very core of who we are. We've got to fall in love with the King of Kings every single day. And a good test to see how your love of God is, is how uncomfortable you feel saying, Jesus, I love you. I always think that's a really good litmus test. If you struggle to say out loud, I love Jesus Christ, then maybe you've got to work on falling in love with the King of Kings 
all over again. But you've got to love him. It's about total devotion. It's about obeying and following. Um, Third thing, verse 6. Place God's words in your heart. So verse 6 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Remember, heart is the core of a person's being. We're not just to hear God's words and then forget them, like the book of James says. We're to take the truths and the commands and the words of God and then force them right into the center of who we are. So we we behave and we act and we think and we say all the things God wants us to. We place them all the way in. Actually, then his word becomes like a seed and it begins to grow the goodness of God in all those various areas of our life. You need to be rooted in the promises of this book. And then number four is simply talk about him. This may seem really obvious, but I love the way Moses says this in verse 7. Impress them on your children. Impress, like push them onto your kids. Often we think, I don't want to pressurize my children. And it's a fine line. We've been there. But you've got to say, look, this is what you must believe. This is the truth, kids. This is what it is. This is what you need. We've got to impress it on our children. It's one of the reasons why I've employed a youth worker, because we've got so many kids, we want them to know the king of kings. We want to really bless that work and make it grow. It says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. I reckon if this was written in the 21st century, it may be something like this. Um, Talk about them when you're watching Netflix, when you run on the treadmill at the gym, When you're having a nap during the afternoon, a bit of me time, think about him then. When you're on your way to work and you get up. In every area, every relationship, every moment, we're to talk about the king of kings. Not just so other people hear, so that that heart of ours keeps on hearing the name Jesus, which is above every other name. We're told to bind them on our heads and on our hands and even the doorposts. The Jews literally do that, don't they, as well. And so really, I think the thing I just wanted to say this morning was just that. A kind of warning, I guess, which is to guard your heart, guard my heart, because the devil loves to plant seeds of discontentment. He loves to plant seeds of rage and anger and hurt that sprout when we least expect it. God wants you to live life in all its abundance. The devil doesn't, and he will plant those seeds of rage, and we must choose every day how we will respond to the things that happen we must listen to what God says we must love him fall in love every day tell him we love him we must place God's words at the core of our life and our decisions and we must talk about him every single day and if you do those four things I believe our hearts will become soft our hearts will become malleable and pliable and God will mold us more into his people we're going to sing a song um, and then take communion together. Before we do that, I want to pray. Um, let's t- stand just where we are. Um, and if you'd just like to shut your eyes, I just want to just want to say a little prayer. And your response will be Amen, or our response will be Amen. And let's just take a moment to be honest with God. Think about the the clashes that you're having. Think about the tense places in our lives. It might be relationships. It might be um, other things. Probably, probably just relationships. Think of your, your relationship with the King of Kings. People you work with, family, neighbours. Are they all tense? 
Are they all surface? Just think for a moment. Be honest with God. Maybe even ask the Holy Spirit to show you the state of your heart and my heart. Let's just turn that into a prayer. Father God, as we stand in this room, Lord, we think of those Israelites thousands of years ago. And Lord, a, a situation so different to ones we face, but Lord, similarities in terms of danger. Lord, you put opportunities before each one of us all the time, good things that you want us to have. And Lord, so often it is our heart that stops us living life abundantly. So, Father God, I want to pray first for those who are brokenhearted in this place. Lord, for those whose hearts have been shattered to a thousand pieces and all they feel is hurt and sorrow. Oh, Lord, please piece them back together. Lord, may they hear words of love. Lord, that you love them, that you were there when that thing happened and that your heart breaks like theirs does. But you're the only one that can put it together. Holy Spirit, please be on those people in this room whose hearts are broken. Bring healing, I pray. Lord, for those hearts who feel cold, maybe a changing relationship or changing circumstances, maybe there's loneliness. Father, I pray that again they would hear those verses like, never will I leave you or forsake you. Lord, may they realise that there's not a single place they can be where you're not. I pray, Lord, for those cold, lonely Lord, feelings in this room, I pray, Lord, that you would just bring the warmth of your wonderful love. Holy Spirit, please be, do this, I pray. And Lord, I pray for those who feel hard-hearted, who are angry, who feel bitter, who feel twisted, Lord, who have forgotten what it's like to know the joy of the Lord. Holy Spirit, I beg you that you would just flood, Lord, their hearts, Lord, with joy and peace and patience. Lord, from a seed of you, may you spring those fruits of your spirit, of who you are. Lord, uproot the seed that the devil planted years ago. Lord, may they decide to hear you and go your way. Bring joy, Lord, back into joyless hearts this morning, I beg you. Father, work in us, I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.